0: Welcome to Warrington Bible Fellowship. I'm Associate Pastor Scott Farrell, and today we're going to be taking a look at Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, where we are going to learn that we are called to be transformed into the likeness of Christ in thought, word, and deed. And so the question is, are you all in for Jesus? Meantime, be sure to let us know what you think of our videos. Uh, Like and subscribe. Uh, Click that bell button and do all those things that that let us know that you're watching and so that you can keep up with us. God bless you. I want to invite you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And the reason we're turning there is today we continue our occasional series on worship, which we began way back in 2021 in October. (laughs) And that was with a message called, Worship is Conviction. That is, before we can even worship Christ, we've got to be convicted of who Christ is and of our need for Him. You see, the root of worship is conviction. Conviction about Christ and our need for Him. And so on the heels of that truth, what we're going to learn today from our passage in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, is that after we're convicted and believe that Jesus is the Christ, something very visible and tangible ought to be happening in our lives. Transformation. Transformation. The transformation of who we are without Christ to who we are with Christ is a lifelong process. But the evidence of that transformation for many of us is extremely obvious at the moment of salvation. But again, we spend the rest of our lives learning how to walk more and more with Christ and to be His imitators through many circumstances and experiences. Now, it might be easy for us who have followed Christ for many years to forget that we are still being made new that beyond the ways Christ has already transformed us we still need to be transformed all the more you see it might be easy for us to fall into the trap of believing that who we are today is as good as it gets we even might be comfortable <clears throat> we might be comfortable with the way that we are And well, if we're comfortable with it, then God must be too, right? But while there is grace for the stumbling Christian, God demands holiness. His demands for holiness are at the same time unchanging and exact. Yes, God's standards of holiness are far beyond our reach without Christ, and even with Christ. We'll never be perfect until we're in paradise. But God's expectation of holiness still applies to you and me today, no matter how long we've been a believer. In fact, as we'll learn today, our pursuit of holiness is really the true worship of God. True worship is far more than simple belief or even vast biblical knowledge. God's calling us to be ever-changing into the likeness of Christ The person, for instance, who we see here on Sunday morning, that person who you are here today, this morning, ought also to be the person that your co-workers see tomorrow morning at work. And so a person who truly worships the Lord will learn to submit himself entirely to the Lord in thought, word, and deed, insofar as as it is possible on this side of heaven. And so the title of today's message is Worship is Transformation. Conviction comes first, and then transformation. Now this ties directly into Pastor John's sermon last week, uh, his sermon called The Wide Door from 1 Corinthians 16, where Paul mentions how God has opened for him a wide door for effective ministry. With the advent of this new year, we have similar opportunities ahead of us. But what's key to our using the opportunities that God gives us to put His glory on display is that we fully embrace this step of transformation in Romans chapter 12. Just as we cannot worship Christ if we don't know Him, we also cannot worship Christ rightly when we close ourselves up to the notion that even while God's grace abounds that God doesn't want us to stay the way that we are. And that should be good news to all of us because we don't want to stay who we are at least I hope that's the case. But all of this has to do with every single detail of our lives. It's not just on a macro scale in our lives. It's In our daily lives, everything that we do and say and how we treat other people, everything ought to reflect the majesty and the holiness of Jesus Christ. An impossible thing for us to do in this life, but it's still the expectation that God has on us today. And all of this boils down to one simple question. Are you all in for Jesus? Are you all in for Jesus? Well, we're going to answer that question as we see first in verse 1, a living sacrifice. That's who we're called to be, is a living sacrifice. And then in the beginning of verse 2, with the transformation that ought to be occurring in us. And finally, uh, we will be able to discern God's will in the latter part of verse 2. So before we jump into the to verse the, these verses, let me go ahead and read it for us. Uh, so it's, it's right there in the front of our minds and our hearts. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. So let's turn first to the beginning of this passage in verse 1, where we are called to be a living sacrifice. Paul is writing to Christians in Rome. This is a dangerous place for followers of Christ and there's also all sorts of controversies and questions swirling around within the fellowship of believers. But this letter is, as we know, deeply theological. Paul masterfully explains the doctrine of justific- justification by faith among other doctrines. His point throughout this whole letter is that the gospel is God's power for salvation because it shows us that the righteousness of God is through faith for anyone who believes. Not just the Jews, but for anyone who believes. So in verse 1 of chapter 12, therefore refers to everything that Paul has been teaching from the beginning of Romans. And it marks a a change of gears here from theology to the very practical matters of living in a dark and dangerous world as a Christian. Paul has been explaining in great deal great detail God's redemptive act in Christ Jesus and now he turns to the logical outcome of that theology for someone who embraces those truths the convicted believer and that is godly ethics godly ethics If God had not done what he did for us, there really, there would be no compelling reason to do what he says. He'd just be another guy trying to tell us what to do and not to do, right? But God did do what he did for us, and so the natural result, the the natural impulse for every Christian ought to be that we become transformed people who obey our Savior, There's a very strong taste here in verse 1 as well of the already but not yet, this theological concept uh, that in fact, the the, the, the fact that the, the work of salvation is finished in Jesus' own words, but even as that work is finished, the consummation of our salvation won't happen until our Lord returns for us. This is the already but not yet. When he returns, we'll be truly made perfect. And yet now, even as we wait for that day, we are able, by the Holy Spirit's presence and power, to learn to be more like Jesus. That's why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to us, is to be our helper and our guide. And that involves not only our minds, but our whole selves. Just think about this with me. A soldier who claims to agree to uphold our freedoms at all costs but then refuses to go to battle, isn't much use, is he? He isn't really doing what he's been called to do. It's those brave men and women who've answered that call, some of them with the ultimate sacrifice. Those are the ones who are faithful. And likewise, we as Christians are not followers of Christ only in theory. (laughs) We are followers of Christ in reality. We follow Christ not in part, but in the whole, and we fulfill our duty. That is our calling. And so since we're saved by the mercies of God in verse 1, Paul also calls us to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What Paul is driving at here is very physical. It's in the here and now. It's not theoretical. Our focus, our our desire, our drive is to be the light of Christ in this darkness. The darkness that we are experiencing here today in this world, right now. But here's what this does not mean. It doesn't mean that our job, according to God, is to point out everyone else's flaws. Our job is not to complain about how dark it is. Of course it's dark. It's a fallen world. But what do you do when the power goes out at night at your house? First thing you do is you go look for a candle or a flashlight, right? To light up the darkness. Well, you see, that's what our job is. To be the light of Christ in this world. To be a candle or a flashlight in this darkness. To walk in His truth and in who Jesus Christ is. This is what our job is. And that's our job no matter what. Even when there are evil people who hate us. Even when there are people who are opposing God. Even when our rights are being take away, taken away or people hate us. You see, God gives us no room to behave like the world in return, not in the least. In fact, he's calling us instead to behave like Jesus Christ. This is, this is part of being a living sacrifice, to love the world around us with the same love that the Lord had for us when we were walking in darkness. You know, I I can't help but think of that beautiful image, that picture of of Christ remaining silent as He was beaten and mocked and crucified. And that, that thought should be emblazoned on our hearts and our minds as we walk in this darkness. Christ is our example. Paul said several times to be imitators of Christ. And so, are we really going to be imitators of Christ when push comes to shove? You see, what, what, let's think about that moment for a minute. What could have Christ done? He easily could have destroyed them all, to use Pastor John's favorite word, to smite them all, right? He had that authority. Jesus is God. He could have hated them back with a holy hatred. That'll come someday, but not yet. He didn't do that. You see, Christ was not being weak in that moment, He was being inconceivably strong with a strength that we cannot fathom because we're not God put in that situation willingly. And so in exhorting us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, Paul is making a contrast between the daily Old Testament sacrifices of bulls and goats that ultimately cannot take away our sins, as Hebrews puts it. He's making a contrast between that and the daily life of a Christian who is faithful in all things because his or her sins are already taken away by Christ. We obey Christ because of what He has done for us, out of love for Him. A Christian who presents his or her body as a living sacrifice, that is, that is our whole life, this person is making a whole, per, per, a whole person commitment to the Lord. Everything we do, we do as unto the Lord, Paul says. And so this presentation of our, of our entire selves according to Paul in verse 1, is our spiritual worship. Some English translations prefer to render this phrase your rational service. Well, both are are right in their own ways. The point is is that service is worship and worship is service. (laughs) So, by way of example, have you ever noticed that we call this gathering here? And, And those of you who are online, you are here with us in spirit. Have you ever noticed that we, we we call this a worship service? Worship here doesn't mean gathering or ceremony. What it means is that we are literally serving the Lord during our time together. That's what we're doing right now. We're obeying his command to gather and we're serving up our devotion to Christ through songs and through a message like this one, through, through the reading of Scripture and prayer, among many other things that we do and could do. And so what Paul is saying at the end of verse 1 is that since Christ has, by His mercy, saved us according to this beautiful tapestry of doctrine and theology that Paul has sewed together for us in the first 11 chapters, because of all of that, it's only logical and completely rational to respond by serving the Lord with our total devotion to Him. The outpouring of our conviction about Christ is total worship. In fact, it's illogical not to desire to be like Him as a Christian. And so that's what worship is. It means that we are a living sacrifice. It means that we are all in for Jesus. And so with that in mind, let's move on now to the first part of verse 2 as we meditate on this idea of transformation. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Well, as we ponder that statement, that command, that exhortation from Paul, Let me just throw some questions out to you to honestly and truthfully answer in your own minds and hearts. Because I think these are things in this day and time that we as a church maybe have not done to the degree that we ought to. So think about these things. Over the past several years or so, with all of the controversies and division and anger everywhere, would you say that you have behaved like a person who has been transformed by the grace of God? I've asked myself that many times. And sometimes I don't like the answer. Have you, in the words of Paul in Colossians 3, set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth? Have you put to, uh, to death what is earthly in you? Have you literally killed those things that are earthly in you? Have you put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, and participating in lies? Have you put off the old self and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of your Creator? You know, brothers and sisters, we all feel that pull to remain conformed to this world. There's plenty that goes on that draws us into that temptation to just react as the world does. An eye for an eye. Vengeance is mine, not the Lord's. So, with that in mind, we need to understand that this transformation that we're talking about is a change that must begin from inside a person in light of the gospel. In light of the gospel. Without the gospel, any change that occurs in us is for selfish reasons. But in light of the Gospel, we have an object of our devotion beyond ourselves, instead of ourselves. And that object is Jesus Christ who lived and died and was raised on the third day for us. And so we are transformed in light of the Gospel. And it must include our powers of thought and reason because God is a logical God. God is not irrational. God is not uh, fickle in His thinking. And so, logically, as new creatures, there ought to be clear evidence that we are transformed people, shouldn't there? We should be people who honor Christ in thought, word, and deed and even if it means that our lives become harder for it. In Ephesians 4.17, Paul explains that transformation like this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Paul's point here is that the unsaved Gentiles' minds were futile because they didn't have that inner light of salvation Placed in them by the Holy Spirit that comes to us the moment we're saved. And so Paul's point in Ephesians 4 is that we as followers of Christ must learn to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. That is, because of the work and person and work of Christ, which of course we we do believe and we, we do claim to believe. Because of that. We want to walk in His footsteps in all things, even through the fire of true persecution someday. So this is what it means to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. This renewal is a continual work of the Holy Spirit in us in proportion to our seeking the mind of Christ. The less we seek Christ, the less we'll look like Him. The more we seek Christ, The more we'll look like him. This is a transformation that continually rises up from the gospel and is not muted by the world's influence. A mind that has been changed by Christ will loathe things like cursing. These small things, the things that we think are so small that God just overlooks, He doesn't. He's a holy God. A mind that has been changed by Christ will love talking about Jesus rather than what's wrong with everybody. A mind that has been changed by Christ will even give back that extra 25 cents for the Snickers bar that the 7-Eleven clerk gave you by mistake. A mind that's been changed by Christ will see the unbeliever not as an enemy but someone to love and to lead to Christ. He will treat his employees fairly and justly, submit his anger to Christ, read and study his Bible, and refrain from endless controversies, and so on and so on and so on. There are a million ways that we can worship God in our daily lives. But nothing, has, nothing about this has to do with legalism. That's not what we're talking about here. We don't do these things because, well, they're the rules. So we got to do them or whack, God's going to smite us. We've been saved from that. So we do these things because Christ has made us new creatures. New creatures who desire and strive for godliness in all things because we are a people that is set apart for holiness Ephesians 2, verse 10, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And the renewal of our minds isn't automatic. This isn't a passive process. God doesn't smack us on the forehead and make all the earthly things in our minds and behavior go away. No, it takes our participation, doesn't it? It takes our willingness and desire for God to reveal the sin in our lives. Now, there's a scary prayer. Lord, reveal what is not of you in me. Oh, my. He'll answer that prayer. But He answers that prayer for your good. And so we, we desire that God would reveal our sin. Because we yearn to be more like Jesus. And so as we present our bodies as living sacrifices and our minds are, are, trans, are, are transformed by renewal from on high, next we are then able to truly discern what is the will of God. The latter part of verse 2 says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Understanding the will of God is really hard sometimes, isn't it? In fact, maybe most of the time, because we live in a complicated world, and our minds are so fogged and clouded by sin. You know, something can feel so right, but in reality can be ungodly and wrong. I know that from experience. Every time I've gotten really angry with someone, and they've known it, it has felt so right but it's been so wrong. It's been so wrong. You see, before we were Christians, we thought that Christianity was following a list of do's and don'ts. But that was before we understood what the Holy Spirit taught us, that to be a Christian is to be a forgiven sinner who wants to be like Jesus. That's our calling, To the most simple way that I can put it. We are forgiven sinners who just want to be like Jesus. And so it is by testing is the word used here in this verse. Testing means our actual daily walk with God. The putting into practice the ways of God. Hey, I'm going to try out humility. I'm going to put gentleness to the test. And what we will see is because those things are good and perfect and effective is that we learn to grow into trust of the Lord's will we trust that the Lord's will is always good and acceptable and perfect and that causes us to, to want to do things his way even more now you know we might be afraid that God's way will hurt too much or believe that we're justified in our sin. Have you ever thought that? I know I have. We think think that we're justified so much in our sin that we maybe don't even think that it's sin at all. And I think that is something that is going on in the evangelical church today in spades. And it's something that we all need to repent of, myself included. You see, God wants to teach us, to teach you and me, to depend on Him. He wants us to know that while while letting go of our old selves can be very painful, receiving the joy of obedience is a million times better. It's a million times better. And so, He wants you and me to repent of our justification of sin. Because God never condones sin and he never, ever blesses it. Show me a verse in the Bible where God says, you know what, I'm really glad that you did that. I'm really glad that you sinned because my way just wasn't working out. So we come to find that the dark... Thoughts and words and actions that we have about this and that are shameful to God. They really are. And so, what God wants us to do is something wonderful. He wants us to step out in faith and have the guts to trust Him that His vengeance is sufficient, that His love is greater than the world's hatred of Him. And that His promise of eternity with Him is as sure as the sun rising this morning. We can kind of see it peeking through the clouds now. You see, God wants us to live in the reality of this world because this reality is the proving ground of the beautiful reality of His grace and power. And He wants everyone to see it. Everyone to see it. And so are you all in for Jesus? Is that your mindset? Are you all in for Jesus? Are you willing to present your body as a living sacrifice, as your very rational service of worship, given what He's done for you? Do you desire to be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that in every thought, word, and deed, you imitate Jesus Christ? As God continues the great work He has already begun in you, do you want to discern His will in all circumstances, even even to find out that His will is different from ours? Do we have the guts to find that out? And do we want to depend on God that much? You know, a few verses after the passage that Diane read, A little while ago, in verse 34, Jesus' disciples are urging him to have a bite to eat. And I think this is one of the most profound things that Jesus ever said. Because here's how he answers. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to to accomplish his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Is that your food? Is that your food? It should be. As we submit ourselves to God and the transformation and renewal of our minds, we will only be satisfied to do His will in all things. You see, worship is transformation. When we are transformed, that's when we worship Christ in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, You have declared today perhaps some very difficult things to us. And so Father, I pray that You would open each of our hearts to Your will. That You would uh, cause us to to become living sacrifices, to present our bodies to You, to be all in, for Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that You would continue that transformation that You began in us the day we were saved. And that each passing day, as people look at us, they would see more and more and more and more of Jesus and less and less and less of us. So we thank You, Father, for Your love. We thank You for the grace that You have poured out on us. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins, which is, which is sure, because you have promised to forgive us through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we go from this place, we want to honor you in all that we do, all that we say, and all that we think, because you are worthy of our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we go, as we think about this coming year, John and I uh, have discussed this and we've agreed that this idea of transformed minds, of, of the renewal of our minds, is going to be our new focus for the coming year. We, we're, we're gonna, this is going to be our new theme. Pastor John is about to begin a new series in Galatians, which has very much to do with godly living and so over the next months uh, he will be uh, showing us through the words of paul uh, through the inspiration of the holy spirit what it means to live as a christian in this dark world and so as we've thought about this in anticipation of this new theme of of renewing our minds let's try something really radical just for a month just for a month. This isn't a permanent thing. But let's do this. Let's, let's stop doing something that maybe has a lot to do with our difficulties in imitating Christ these days. Let's take a month-long fast from the news. Okay, whatever it is that you think of when you think of that, that you get your news source, what is your news source, whatever it is that you turn to. Let's just take a fast from it. Understand me, though, we're not trying to put our heads in the sand here, and we're not trying to say that the news is wrong to follow. We should, as responsible citizens, know what's going on in our world. But you know, I bet most of us would admit that our our almost moment-by-moment diet of news is just simply gorging us with concern and anger and just junk food. And all of this can unsettle our hearts and our minds. It might even be leading us to pay too much attention to ungodly people and imitate them rather than Christ. Christ. You see, this, this, this moment-to-moment news cycle that technology has made possible has trained us to think that we've got to know the latest thing right now or I don't know what's going to happen, man, but I've got to know it now. That causes us anxiety. Now, I say this as someone who used to cover the news. I had a front-row seat to the things that you read about and see on, online and, and see on TV. But as I look back on that, I can honestly say that the only times I can think of that any of us needed to know what was going on right now that was that urgent was 9-11 and when a tornado was coming. I mean, those are about the only two things that I can think of. It's okay if we don't find out until tomorrow or next week for the vast majority of things. That's what we used to do before the internet, right? We waited a while. And so let's just take a break for a month till February 2nd. Let's use that time instead for the glory of God. Let's, let's read his word. Let's listen to some godly music. Maybe we'll, all of a sudden we'll have time to go volunteer somewhere or take a walk with the Lord and just see what God does with that. And then when we return to the news next month, maybe, just maybe, we're going to have a clearer and more godly perspective on things. And then we'll be able to worship God all the time. So how's that for a suggestion? Anybody with me? And I'm going to show you that I'm all in on this because I'm opening up my phone now and I'm going to my news folder. Yes, I have a news folder with four different apps that I turn to for the news. And so I'm going to delete them right now, right here in front of you. Remove app. That was the Culpeper Star exponent. Sorry, but I'll see you later. And then here's another one that I'm going to delete. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I actually turn to NPR sometimes. (gasps) Because they do a good job of reporting facts. I don't agree with their their viewpoints, but they do a good job of reporting the facts. So I'm removing that app. Delete. Okay, there we go. And here's my Google News app, which is mostly full of stories about who was... What celebrity was doing what? I won't even go into detail on that because it gets pretty awful sometimes. And then here's my AP app that is disappearing. Nope, hit the wrong thing here. Okay, <laughs> remove app. It's, it's fighting with me. There we go, delete. Okay, this is going to be really hard for me because I look at the news all the time. I do. But I have to confess that that's probably one reason I'm not in a good mood sometimes. And and I know that it takes away from my time with the Lord. And so that's why I'm doing this. And so in a month, I'll return to it. And hopefully, I won't have this great need to know everything right now. And that anxiety will be gone. And I will be able to worship the Lord better. So is anybody with me on this? All right. Praise God. Praise God. Good. Good. So let's see what God does with that and let's be willing to testify before the congregation in a month as to what God has done with it. Amen? Amen.